Hello, and welcome to StarCast from Planet Waves. My name's Eric Francis, the author of the Planet Waves Horoscope and host of Planet Waves FM here with a new edition for the 28th of April, 2022. I've been out of town and so have uh, taken a short break from this program, but alas, I am back uh, with an audio kind of accompaniment to my new article called The Albion New Moon, which you may find on the front page of planetwaves.net. And there's also a new weekly horoscope to go with that. Uh, it, It looks like I will be able to continue doing a weekly horoscope as uh, things around the Planet Waves department settle down just a little bit. All right, so the uh, the intended topic of this uh, podcast is that the new moon takes place uh, at about 5 o'clock Eastern Time on Saturday afternoon, April 30th, 2022. That's an exact conjunction of the moon and the sun. It's a little bit ahead of, uh, of five o'clock. I've got a number of charts out here working at this exact moment. Let's get an exact time on that event. Uh, 4.28 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, all times in this podcast being Eastern Time. This is an unusually influential chart. Uh, I say this for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, it is the Taurus new moon. That gets a lot of emphasis uh, as it is, it's the new moon that is also the closest to Beltane, the mid-spring holiday, cross-quarter day, uh, the balancing point between the spring equinox and the summer solstice up here in the nor- northern hemisphere. Flip that for the southern hemisphere. So there's a lot of energy connected with it. Also, uh, the new moon will be in a fairly close conjunction to the planet Uranus, which I think is the topic that most astrologers are going to cover. And I also think that Uranus and Taurus has not received enough attention as a kind of analytical tool, a, a point of discussion when it comes to understanding what has transpired the past two years in terms of two main topics. One is the economic instability. Taurus is about financial stability and about uh, values and value and wealth and the ability to eat and plow the fields and all that that stuff. Uh, And so with Uranus and Taurus, uh, there has come, though I, I didn't see this much predicted ahead of the transit, but there was a lot of crazy shit going on in 2017 and uh, early 2018, uh, that there there could and would be, uh, you know, financial shakeups. So that's certainly certainly happening. Uh, The other thing with Uranus and Taurus is it is a very, let's say, compelling picture of cryptocurrency, of currency being uh, made made into exclusively a digital thing, whether we're talking about the friendly kind of cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Filecoin or Cardano or those things, or the less friendly kind of cryptocurrency uh, being smart currency, the kind that governments 
uh, are threatening to replace cash with, uh, where the currency can come with various conditions, how far you can shop from your home, um, what you can and cannot buy, uh, whether every transaction will be subject to easy surveillance by entities like the Federal Reserve Bank or the National Security Agency. They can get to these things sooner or later, but they need to get a bunch of warrants to look at your your personal financial records, and they can't physically stop you from using your Visa card to buy a pizza or to buy a pizza five and a half miles from your home when they're saying you can only buy it five miles from your home. If you think I'm kidding, you've got another one coming to you. All right, the other thing that... Uh, I, I see Uranus and Taurus being about is the the merging of humans and computers. Uranus has a lot to do with uh, digital technology, with technology generally, with with electrical technology. And way back before we were thinking about any of this, we here at Planet Waves, we were uh, looking for metaphors for the body, Taurus, electric. Uranus. Hmm, what could that be? Well, there's all kinds of, you know, wonderful ways you can think of that in terms of dance and uh, uh, I, I frankly don't know what else, but uh, whatever we were thinking at the time, we were not thinking of transhumanism, uh, a concept and a word that existed long before any of this stuff started happening with graphene oxide in vaccines and the 5G system talking to the graphene oxide in vaccines. And I know nobody likes to hear about this uh, or, or talk about, but my job is only to report the news, not to make it up. Uh, and so when you have a, a kind of a an astrological field or quality as physical as Taurus, which is the ultimate kind of grounding of the body in physical form, and then something electrical like Uranus, and then you start to find out that there are all these plans to give people IP addresses and to have people's GPS location be trackable without you having your phone or some other GPS device on you. And when you see uh, evidence of this, let's just leave it at that in various ways, shapes, and forms, it starts to become troubling. And it should be troubling. So the body electric, under the influence of Uranus in Taurus, has started to take on all kinds of new dimensions uh, under the influence of this uh, movement that's going on called transhumanism. Now, the people who are doing it don't call it transhumanism. They do things like, say, our vaccine provides an operating system for your immune system, which we can upgrade conveniently whenever we need to, blah, blah, blah. That's off the Moderna website. Uh, so uh, I remain cautious about this whole topic and uh, would, would encourage uh, you, know, you to be, if not cautious, then conscious in knowing the actual dimensions of, of, of this plan and of this evolving situation. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is that the new moon is conjunct a point called Albion. Albion is something I've written a lot about under different names, uh, a different name, particularly 1992 QB1, uh, which was discovered in 1992, of course, and is the official discovery of the Kuiper Belt, this uh, cloud of icy type of 
bodies out that are in the, in the realm of Pluto. Um, and Pluto was the first one discovered in 1930. And, uh, and then uh, this guy named uh, Gerald Kuiper first predicted that there would be a whole swarm of things like Pluto. Then he said, no, I've changed my mind. There's not going to be a whole swarm of things uh, like Pluto. And then in 1992, Dr. Jane Liu and her kind of uh, professor mentor, uh, Dr. David Jewett, using a very ordinary, humble, ground-based workhorse beast of a telescope uh, in, in Hawaii up on top of a mountain, uh, did something that astronomers were not doing at the time, which was they pointed their telescope out past Pluto. At the time, Jupiter and Saturn, the gas giants, were you know getting all the hot air and scientific study and grants and research and all that. Uh, and, and that's because they were approaching a conjunction uh, which was planned to be met and was successfully met by this thing called the Cassini space probe or the Cassini-Huygens spacecraft. The name evolved over time. Cassini was the thing that buzzed around Saturn for like 12 years, and Huygens probe was the thing that they dropped down to the uh, d- down into the atmosphere of one of the moons of Saturn, which was thought to potentially be a proto-Earth type of environment, a, a thing where they said, uh, this looks like it could be a place that had an environment similar to the Earth, you know, eons and eons ago. And so they were able to do this. Uh, there was nearly a terrible mishap, and they nearly lost the whole thing. Somebody redid the math before they dropped the probe, and it descended to the surface and floated in some ocean of nitrogen gas or God knows what down there before it lost contact. And I haven't uh, studied the results of that experiment. But my point being is that while the whole world was rightly fascinated by this concept of sending a close probe to Jupiter and Saturn and then even dropping another probe right onto the surface of one of the the satellites of of Saturn, uh, Dr. Liu and Dr. Jewett thought, all right, we've got a little extra telescope time. We've done our official homework. Let's look out into deeper space at the edge of the solar system. And lo and behold, they discovered a point that was given the provisional name 1992 QB1. And then 26 years later, this is very unusual for a point to be named 26 years later, uh, Dr. Jewett named it Albion, uh, Albion after a kind of a central mythological figure in the work of William Blake. So what's this about? Uh, Albion is like the fallen man, except instead of falling, you know, no no longer a strictly heavenly spiritual entity, but now uh, descended to the planet's surface. I know descended is the wrong word, but whatever, manifesting in human form. Um, has many different like offspring and uh, offshoots and related topics, which are the various properties of what it means to be human. So instead of it being like a Satan story, oh, Satan falls and then makes all this evil, it's like, well, human shows up on Earth and then starts to explore and experience all of its human qualities, passion and love and jealousy and 
friendship and various spiritual attributes. So more more on that when I'm, I, I give it deeper study. But that's what I have for you now. So uh, I've been looking at this for a long time, and in the absence of a mythological reference, it's sometimes easier to ascertain what a planet is about because you don't have the bias of the mythological reference. The name of the planet does not always uh, do justice to the to the full concept of what the planet is about. You know, for example, Mars is a lot more than the god of war, and Venus is a lot more than the goddess of love. We see this diversity of subjects that they all cover. And so for, well, I was first um, given an ephemeris for 1992 QB1 when I was uh, staying in Munich, and uh, an astrologer there named uh, Robert von Heeren gave me a copy of the printed ephemeris. I was one of a very few astrologers in the world who had one uh, or who much cared. But I did recognize the importance of the discovery because, first of all, it was the first thing ever discovered beyond Pluto. And second, the position of discovery was the Aries point, that mystical, strange, really unusual point of intersection between the individual and the collective. So you could tell just because it's the, the first thing discovered in a new realm of space, and when it shows up in a degree that just glows, uh, you, you, you want to give it some attention. And so I've given it plenty of attention over the years. And my theory about Albion QB1 is that it represents a form of growth and change that is not the gun to the head, needle to the arm, death threat, enforced growth and change, grow or die type of stuff that we're so accustomed to with Pluto. Humans are, are accustomed to just trying to not do very much different, not experiment not very much, not ask too deep of questions until basically they're backed into a corner and forced to do so. And even then, it's possible to just kind of blow off the whole thing and um, make believe nothing is happening. So, but when when people are under Pluto transits, usually it's pretty darn compelling and, and they have no choice but to, uh, let's say, go through a series of transformations that can force them to manifest in a new and more mature form on a good day. On a bad day, it, it is uh, worse, but you still manifest in a, in a new form. So uh, the theory I worked with for a long time with QB1, Albion, uh, was that this is the gentler approach to growth and change. This is where uh, you, you are led gently to the, the edge or the limit or, or the limitation of your understanding and get to observe and consider and contemplate your existence and um, make up your mind. There's, a, there's an element of readiness with QB1 Albion, as opposed to, well, I don't care if you're ready or not. Now's the time. This is all upon you. And, and, and you can see this happening over and over again with major Pluto transits, such as in the summer of 2001 or January of 2020. You get the feeling from those things, right? It's like coming through. With, with Albion, first of all, it's not very well studied by astrologers. And, uh, and, and second, when 
it is working, it is more the nature of, let's say, a trine than of a square. A square is self-activating, it is high pressure, it demands to be resolved, whereas a trine is um, voluntarily activated, you have to reach for it, you you lose it or use it or lose it, right? That's the kind of thing with a trine where a square will just keep kicking your ass till you get the message. A trine will lay open an opportunity. And so I think that the opportunities around uh, Albion QB1 are very similar to the ones uh, topically that are presented by Pluto, but the growth opportunity and the thematic material presents itself in a much gentler way where the growth process is engaged in voluntarily. Now, uh, one other thing, and it ain't no small thing, uh, this new moon takes place in Taurus. So let's, let's enough on these outer planets. Let's talk about a couple of things going on uh, in, in the inner and more immediate solar system, um, more easily seen, noticed, and felt. Um, the, the sign Taurus, where this new moon takes place, uh, is ruled by the planet Venus. And it turns out that at the moment of this new moon, there is a second conjunction uh, going on, and by a second conjunction, I mean applying to one arc minute. Uh, Venus is forming a conjunction to Jupiter. So one arc minute is one sixtieth of a degree. Venus is ahead of Jupiter, so it is forming. It is the maximum tension for a conjunction right before it's exact. And here we have the greater benefic Jupiter. This is old old talk from astrology. The greater benefic Jupiter in its domicile, uh, that being uh, Pisces, and the lesser benefic, but also benefic, Venus, which is exalted in Pisces, uh, being in an exact conjunction in Pisces at the time of the, the Taurus new moon. This is crazy. Uh, this is a positively beautiful development. Uh, it is uh, one, one of the last things that's going to happen to Jupiter before it makes its way into Aries on the 10th of May. That's in about uh, a week and a half. We are not there yet. Those last few degrees of, uh, of, of Pisces have all kinds of mystical qualities. They're very lunar in nature. There's all kinds of references to the moon in, in the picture book known as the Sabian symbols. Uh, notably, also, Venus has just been recently conjunct Neptune, which is the modern ruler of planets. We've been in this very odd situation that um, is unlikely to repeat itself ever again. Um, it can't really because this nothing like this can happen again for another 164 years when Neptune is back in Pisces. So for our lifetime, this is it. And it is quite remarkable to have the three ruling planets of Pisces forming a conjunction in Pisces. As Blake, the, uh, the, the, the creator of this mythological figure Albion, wrote in one of his poems, surely some revelation is at hand. All right, so uh, the article is posted. This audio is right above the article in all of its various formats. Um, I am planning to be back on Friday night, the 29th, with a new edition of Planet Waves FM. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being a customer of Planet Waves. We are 100% subscriber supported. Please take that seriously. If you love and value the things that we all do here, 
please be one of our customers. And thank you to our subscribers, customers, and clients for making this work possible. Signing off from a gorgeous evening in Kingston, New York at 627 p.m. on the 28th of April, I'm Eric Francis. Thanks and bye for now. Thank you.